This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we finish Ruth with Ruth Waits with Naomi, Take My Right of Redemption, Boaz Redeems, Ruth Bears Obed, and then we head back into the New Testament with Intro to James. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Holy God, holy and most gracious Father, our Father,
Job chapter 6. Then Job answered and said, Oh, that my vexation were weighed, and all my calamity laid in the balances, for then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore my words have been rash, for the arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks their poison. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. Does the wild donkey bray when he has grass, or the ox low over his fodder? Can that which is tasteless be eaten without salt, or is there any taste in the juice of the mallow? My appetite refuses to touch them. They are as food that is loathsome to me. Oh, that I might have my request and that God would fulfill my hope, that it would please God to crush me, that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. This would be my comfort. I would even exult in pain unsparing, for I have not de denied the words of the Holy One. What is my strength that I should wait? And what is my end that I should be patient? Is my strength the strength of stones, or is my flesh bronze? Have I any help in me when resource is driven from me? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Journey with me in your mind's eye out of Kramer Chapel, across the Chapel Plaza, into Winnicott Hall, where we have the largest mosaic on campus displayed and arrayed before us. And there we see the scene of Christ sitting on his throne of judgment, coming down on the last day. And if we look in his left hand, we will see the scales of judgment. 
These are the sort of scales that Job pictures when he laments in his book in chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. If only my anguish could be weighed and all my misery be placed on the scales, it would surely outweigh all the sand of the seas. Ancient scales had two trays balanced from a single center pole. Resorting to exaggeration, Job said that if his suffering were placed in one tray, all the sand of the sea would not counterbalance it. It would not outweigh them. Job is sitting in ashes, scraping his sores with pieces of broken pottery. He had lost all of his wealth and possessions in a bizarre series of enemy attacks. In a freak storm, his sons and daughters are all killed. Now in the second round of assault, he is sitting, suffering with disease. Yet in the midst of this, Luther writes that Job stands firm and contends that God torments even the righteous without cause, other than that this be God's praise, as Christ also testifies in John 9:3 of the man who was born blind. Luther continues, Job's friends take the other side. They make much empty talk, trying to maintain God's justice, saying that he does not punish a righteous man, and if he does punish, then the man who is punished must have sinned. They have a worldly and human idea of God and his righteousness, as though he were just like men, and his justice, justice just like the justice of the world, those scales of justice. Job's immediate response to his friend's callous words is where our text begins this morning. We're going to just focus on these first words. And it's a heart-rending plea for mercy as he groans, if only my anguish could be weighed. His point is that Eliphaz seems to be arguing for a kind of balanced scales theology, a tit-for-tat religion in which we do things for God and he does things for us in return. Just as virtuous deeds can, according to his view, be traded with God for tangible benefits, so all of Job's misfortune should be able to be set right by a proper, formal repentance. Thus, everything about the spiritual life can be computed, totaled up, kept straight and tidy, just like a ledger book. But we all know suffering is not like that. It is not tidy and mathematical. And fortunately, neither is grace. And neither are any of the great mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. By their very nature, spiritual realities are untidy to our minds. For example, think of how shocked Jesus' disciples were when he first began teaching them about the necessity of drinking his blood in John chapter 6, verse 60. This is a hard teaching, they complained. Who can accept it? The mysteries of eternal life are untidy because they are infinite and immeasurable. 
The blood of Jesus could not be kept neatly inside his body. It had to be spilled out. What was meant to cover the whole earth could not be contained for long in the earthen vessel of his body. As Peter wrote, and we confess in Luther's small catechism, you know that it was not with perishable things, such as gold or silver, that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Things that are perfect and eternal overflow the world's containers. They upset the world's apple carts. They invalidate the world's balance scales. After all, it is not as though the atoning sacrifice of Jesus merely outweighed the sin of the world. Much more than that, the cross of Christ canceled it out completely. No balance scales view of God, judgment, can ever account for such a wonder as that. Similarly, no human effort or will, even the will to repent in dust and ashes, can ever appease God or take even the tiniest step toward him. As Paul wrote in, 11, in Romans 11:35, paraphrasing, in fact, the Lord's own words to Job later on in chapter 41 of his book, who has ever given to God that God should repay him? The love of God is not a matter of calculation and accountancy. The trouble with Eliphaz and the other friends is, is that their thinking leaves no room for unmerited suffering and therefore no room for unmerited grace. Not only is the cross not at the center of their theology, it is not there at all. While Job holds to faith alone in the midst of his suffering, his friends seem to spend their energies doing the very opposite, seeking to avoid suffering altogether and doing so in the name of faith. As Job summarizes their attitude later in this chapter, chapter 6, you see my calamity, O friends, and are afraid. We might as well face it too. It is Job's suffering and his suffering alone which turns his friends against him and which so often turns us away from those who desperately need our love. In the words of Flannery O'Connor, who from her own battle with lupus had reason to know about such things, sickness is a place where there's no company, where nobody can follow. How easily we distance ourselves from other people's pain. We are so good at rationalizing and accounting for suffering, yet so poor at doing anything about it, and so easily devastated when it's our turn to suffer. Anyone who has wrestled with serious illness in a hospital room and received visitors there will know that between the sick and the well, between the paralyzed life of the sufferer and the full energetic outer world of the visitor, there exists a vast and nearly uncrossable realm. But is the word uncrossable really in our Christian vocabulary? It need not be. Because of the cross of Christ, every chasm has already been crossed, every alienation bridged. If Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar were alive today and could read about themselves and their, their suffering friend in the Bible, in his book, they would realize that this book is the Calvary 
of the Old Testament. They would see that the key to the sufferings of Job and indeed to life itself is the cross. They would realize that suffering, far from being something avoidable, is the very heartbeat of life this side of heaven. And that the greatest weight of suffering is seen there on the cross in Christ. You, who are formed here as pastors and deaconesses, not only hear the message of the cross preached for the weight of your own suffering, some, hundred, some 500 times I heard on a Tuesday, I think, from this pulpit, during your time here as students, you will carry that message of the cross into hospital rooms and living rooms to those who are sick and suffering and need to hear that from your lips. Journey with me once more out of Kramer Chapel, across the plaza, into Winnikin Hall, and look at that masterpiece, great mosaic of Christ sitting on his throne, coming in judgment. But this time, don't look at what is in his left hand. Look at what is in his right hand, where he holds the orb of the world with a cross coming out of the top of it, signifying his redemption of the entire world. That image so significant that in the new mosaic in the library, as you descend the stairs down into the lower level and you find Christ in Genesis chapter one standing there, for from eternity that redemption was in view in the face of all that we suffer in this life, this side of heaven. In Jesus' name.
In our prayers, we remember Vicar Mike Speckard and his wife, Megan, and for the ongoing health of their unborn child who is facing complications. I cry to you, O Lord. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. My mouth is filled with your praise. Every day I will bless you. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. He redeems your life from the pit. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let us pray. O Lord, keep your family, the church, continually in the true faith that relying on the hope of your heavenly grace, we may ever be defended by your mighty power. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Father and creator of us all, our lives are in your hands. Our hearts are weighed down with the knowledge that Megan and her unborn child are facing complications. According to your will, preserve and protect both mother and child. Grant an increase of faith to these parents to trust that you work all things together for our ultimate good. Into your hands we commend them and their loved ones, trusting in your mercy through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ. from all evil and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. 